you know what? No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as if I am the center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of the Spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of His never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. No more excuses. Jimmy, can you hand these out? Got little notepapers for you today to take notes with. I think it's a pretty important part of our Christian walk to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So I always want to make sure I give you plenty of opportunities and resources to take notes at all times. If you need a pen, they're on the back little table. Maybe Jimmy can grab you guys one if you need it. Well, if you haven't figured it out, we're in the series called No More Excuses. Actually, this is week five of No More Excuses. Over the series, we have been looking at six common excuses. They're destructive patterns and the best defense to erasing these excuses. The six excuses are, I can't forgive them, I can't give more, I can't tell that, I can't change now, which is what James spoke on last week, five, I can't commit to one more thing, and six, I can't ask God for that. Everywhere we look, every place we go, every conversation we hear is filled with excuses. They are there when we need them, and we reach for them far too often. Let's admit it, none of us wants to hear that our excuses are explaining away our laziness, self-doubt, and just giving up way too easy. Our excuses drive us to failure because they let us take the easy way out. Our main point throughout the series has been the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. Know why. Why you do this or why you don't do that. Know the whys. Why can't I choose to forgive even if they don't deserve forgiveness? Why am I more concerned about what others think than what God thinks? Why is that activity more important than this activity? Why do I feel my needs are more important than other people's needs? Why haven't I changed? Why can't I trust God to ask for this? When we develop solid answers to these why questions, it will be the greatest defense in erasing these excuses. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to go rehash all the last five weeks. Uh, needless to say, they are available to you, though, so you can go to see uh, our, hello, our website, marshallassembly.com. 
listen online there or on podcast. I'm always listening to podcasts on my phone. I have a message going at least daily. Sometimes I listen to three or four messages a day just by podcast, just by starting them on my phone, slip my phone in my pocket, and go about doing my day. Um, so you can listen to the last five weeks, or you can also see Fred in the back and grab a copy of the DVDs. We have those, and those are free to you. So this week, we're going to look at the excuse, I can't commit to one more thing. Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I could have just jumped right to verse 16, but I believe it's important for us to see the verse in light of the context in which it sets to better understand what verse 16 is really trying to tell us. Because sometimes we just quote portions of Scripture, and we use them, and even though we're not using them in a bad way, I think we're not fully understanding it because we're not looking at it in the light of its context. So I want to go ahead and start chapter 5 at verse 1. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Then he goes on in verse 3 and says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let, us, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Verse 10 carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things the ungodly do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible, and that's why it's said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So verse 15, it says, so, other translations say, so then, or therefore, therefore, since, now that you know this, now be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray for the word. Father, we just thank you. God, we ask that you just open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, and we allow you permission to just have your way in our hearts and our lives. Lord, cut away anything that's displeasing to you. And I ask that you fill us up with anything that we need or may be lacking. God, we always need more of your love and mercy and compassion. God, just have your way in this service through these words in Jesus' name. The message translation says, use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. The amplified version says, making the very most of the time, buying up every opportunity because the days are evil. King James translation says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So what does it mean to redeem the time? The word redeeming in the Greek can mean to buy up to ransom, to rescue from loss. We need to rescue from loss the time that remains in our life, some more than others in time, that is, but we never know. We can only redeem today and plan to make the most of every opportunity for tomorrow, but we can do nothing about yesterday. And every day that goes by we have less and less time. So redeeming the time, rescuing from loss, making the most of every opportunity. We alone are responsible for using the time God has given to each of us. And we alone will be held accountable for how we spent our time. William Penn said, time is what we want most, but what we use worse. Time is a commodity, a valuable resource. Can you imagine somebody on their deathbed crying out for another day of work? Uh, another dinner at Schuler's? Boy, if I would have just... No, everything hinges on time. If I just had more time, if I had more time. Time is a valuable resource. It's the only thing that we have been given the same amount of. See, we've all been given different treasures. We've all been given different talents. But we've all been given the exact same amount of time. In a podcast I was listening to of Joyce Meyer, she made the statement, God did not call us to be busy, but to be fruitful. Let's just all have a time of confession right now. We are all busy, aren't we? We are all busy. And what's usually the first thing we say when somebody asks us to do something? I'm busy. Or we hear God ask us to do something. Oh, but God, I'm busy. Socrates said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Every time I think of being busy, and I, I mean, I fall into it just like everybody else does, 
I get a picture of a hamster on that little wheel. That guy's not going anywhere, but his little legs are just a moving. And I always look at it. I mean, when, you know, I'd stop over. I've never had a hamster. Don't want one. I think they kind of stink. I think Jim and Jody had one at one time. I went and watched, and this little guy was just a spinner. And I'm thinking, where are you going? Nowhere. He's not going anywhere. So every time I think or, or feel like I'm getting sucked into that busyness, I think I'm just a hamster on a wheel. And I don't know about you, but I really covet my time a lot more than wasting it on a wheel. I would rather be doing a couple menial little things with eternal rewards than one big 13, 14-hour job that went absolutely nowhere but just spinning me on that circle. Some people perceive being too busy as a sign of success or flourishing career. Although this can be true, being constantly overworked and overwhelmed is more detrimental than the seemingly positive effects. Being crazy busy implies stress. You can't have one without the other. And our body can only take so much pressure before it activates this stress response and runs on survival, panic mode. Now, come on. If we're not that individual at times, we know people who are that individual at times. And when you see that, you just kind of want to step away, step away. Nobody make any sudden moves. Panic mode is just coming over them survival mode. Stress can cause a roller coaster of emotions because it has the capacity to affect your body's hormones and also cause brain disturbances. You are not a stable individual. This is why a lot of people who have been exposed to a great deal of stress for a prolonged period end up falling into depression. So here's just a list of five quick questions. Quick, it's not exhaustive. It's just five quick questions to see if your busyness is getting out of hand. Number one, are you constantly looking for something? Your keys, your wallet, your phone, your glasses, they're on your head. Are you constantly looking for something? Do you get inappropriately upset by the smallest things? Do you wake up more often than not feeling tired? Do you often have headaches or tension in your neck and shoulders? Do you constantly have this vague feeling of unhappiness? There is nothing wrong with fulfilling your responsibilities, your obligations and duties. However, you must know how to draw the line between working for a living and living to work. As I've experienced, being too busy reduces the quality of life. That is not what God has called us to. He's called us to be fruitful, to enjoy life, 
life abundantly to the fullest. And you can't experience that on the hamster wheel. Remember the balance? Remember that balance is the key to everything. God wants us living a life of contentment. But instead of reprioritizing our busy schedules, we tend to begin to excuse them, or like James said, defend them. We start defending these excuses. Especially when it comes to ministry. I don't know why. But especially when it comes to ministry or something God's asking us to do until this fill in the blank. Well, boy, we always have a good excuse there. We always have a good defense there, we feel. And we, you know, whatever it is, we fill in the blank and hand it up that this is why I'm going to stay on the hamster wheel. Oh, I want to commit to such and such ministry. I just can't right now. When I have this or that, then I'll be able to. Oh, let me ask you. Is the this or that that you're waiting to have ever more important than the such and such ministry God is calling you to? Come on. When you hold that excuse, that defense up to why you can't do such and such ministry, does it really compare to what you're being called to do? Craig Grishel said it this way, and just talking about church here because it seems to be the big excuse right now. I can't go to church. I can't go to the prayer meeting. I can't do this. I can't do that with the church ministry, whatever, because blah, blah, blah. He said, if you often overrule church for something else, but you never overrule something else for church, you are sending a very clear message of what is most important to you. And let me just say, as parents, that's huge. Your kids are watching you, constantly watching you, and hearing and listening. So is other people. Turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. God is calling us to be content, to work hard, but to be content in what we have, and not to wait for what we don't have yet before we commit to him, his will, his way, his plan for our life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3, says, By his divine power, God has given, has given, we already have, has given us, everything we need for living a godly life, that Zoe life, that fruit-filled life, that abundant overflowing, that's the godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. 
supplement, like a vitamin to your body. Supplement. I like to add to. Add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, this is important, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. What a promise. Then, verse 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have already been given everything you need to live that Zoe, God-filled, abundant life. You don't have to wait for this or that before you start doing what God's called you to do. You've already been given everything you need to start doing it, living it, now. Priscilla Schreier, she's an um, author that wrote the book, The Resolution for Women, which came from that movie. Uh, I'm taking another lady through this. We meet weekly, and The Resolution for Women is just a call for women to stand up to moral excellence and to integrity and being the strong woman of God that we're called to be. And um, Priscilla said, the more you believe that God's grace to you is overflowing, the more you'll be convinced that you will always have everything you need. And the more certain you are that you'll never lack, the more willing and able you'll be to give of yourself and your resources when called for because you'll be certain that God will always replenish your supply. I like that. You can't ever outgive God. You can't outserve God. You can't think that 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 you're starting to begin and build up in yourself with time alone with God is somehow going to be used up if you pour it out. He'll always replenish your supply. You have all, all that you need. So what should we commit ourselves to? Three things. Number one, commit yourselves to God and his will. Commit yourselves to God and his will. Are you a Christian doing life or are you doing life as a Christian? See, if you're just a Christian doing life, your Christian life will only really be seen on Sundays. And then Monday through Saturday, you'll go about doing whatever Sam Smith does Monday through Saturday. And then you'll put on your Christian hat and come into church on Sunday. But if you're doing life as a Christian, that hat never comes off. You're a Christian, you know, doing 
uh, reception work. You're a Christian driving a semi-truck. You're a Christian volunteering at the medical care facility. You're a Christian wherever you are. If you're doing life as a Christian, you see, there's, there's, did I say that wrong? Are you a Christian doing life or are you doing life as a Christian? So it's really about being who you are created to be wherever you are, not just on Sundays. You need to commit yourself to God and his will all the time, not just on Sunday. God gives us the motivation we need, the guidance we need, the encouragement, the helper, the teacher, everything. All that is left is for you to commit yourself to him. And now just because you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and to come into your life and you've accepted him and you've begun a new relationship with him doesn't mean you're committing your ways to him. That's what I'm talking about, the, the Monday, the Sunday through Saturday. That's committing yourself to his will every day, committing yourself to God and his will. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times, in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Not busy day. Every good work. The second thing is commit your ways and everything you do to God. Psalm 37, 5 and 6 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. Listen, he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. When you commit your way to the Lord, you don't need to be consumed with getting. You don't need to be consumed about defending what you do, tossing up another excuse here or there. God says, I'll do that. Commit your way to the Lord. Proverbs 16 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything in its proper time, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in your ways, he causes even your enemies to live at peace with you. The Amplified Version says verse 3 this way. It says, roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him, and he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will and so shall your plans be established and succeed commit your everyday walk to him commit your time at the gas pump commit your parenting commit your marriage commit your job to him and allow him permission to guide you throughout your day, not just on Sunday. And allow him permission to interrupt your day. Some of the most unimportant but God-inspired things will begin to happen when you do this. And some miraculous things will happen as we learn to commit our everyday 
every minute to him. We need to learn how to follow him in the little things before he leads us in the big things. And I'm constantly, I mean, I've been, I've been studying hard the wisdom, the wisdom, the wisdom, and, and gaining wisdom and seeking after wisdom like it's your very life breath, it said, wisdom and understanding. So in doing that, is my prayer has been lately even more so, God, open my ears. I want to hear every little detail you're calling me to. Every little instruction that I can grow deeper and deeper, you know, to follow you wholeheartedly. And I've had some strange things happen lately. I mean, I was at Love's gas station on my way to an appointment. So I was watching the time. I'm almost late, but I need gas. Oh, and by the way, I need to grab some lunch. So I'm pumping gas. As I'm pumping gas, I kept hearing over and over in my head because I was looking, well, there's what is that, Hardee's right there? It loves Hardee's. I'm like, oh, I can grab some chicken right there. And So I'm pumping gas, and I kept hearing over and over in my mind, don't go through the drive-thru, go inside. Don't go through the drive-thru, go inside. And I thought, why do I want to get back in my vehicle, drive up there, get out of my vehicle again, you know, lock it up, go inside. You know, there's a drive-thru. And like four or five times I kept hearing, don't go through the drive-thru, go inside. Don't go through it. Whatever. Jumped in my vehicle. What do you think I did? Went through the drive-thru. 15 minutes in the drive I was stuck in the drive-thru. And by the time I got up to the window and you're trying to smile and you don't want to be upset and you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, and that's okay. And all of a sudden I heard this, I told you not to go through the drive-thru. I'm like, oh, you told me. So, and so then all the way to my appointment, I was thinking, God, why didn't I listen to you? I'm so sorry. You're trying to practically keep my day productive. And I'm not listening. And so the next day, and I'm telling you, it was the next day. I'm like, oh, I've got a few minutes before I pick the boys up from school. I'm going to run to Battle Creek. i got time to run an errand and then pick up the boys. I was heading to Battle Creek. It was raining, you know, gas. Well, now that it's going down, it's not that bad. But it's still expensive, especially when you drive a blazer like I do. Um, so I'm looking at my gas needle. Hey, I've got enough to get to Battle Creek and back and then back home again. That's good. Fumes will take me a few extra miles. So as I'm heading to Battle Creek and it's raining and I'm thinking about, yeah, you know, I'm so excited when I have extra time to run errands and stuff. And just coming around, I was driving the speed limit, going around this semi, I looked and there was this um, van or something. This lady was pulled off. She was standing behind her vehicle in the rain with a gas can holding it up. So as I'm driving, passing around this semi, she, she caught... Out of the corner of my eye, I caught her, and I pulled in front of the semi, and I'm looking at the time again, and I heard the voice say, turn around. What are you doing? Turn around. And so I, I started, hey, I've got a, enough gas to get to Battle Creek and get back. I know that it's going to be at least three miles to the next exit, get off the exit, get back. And then I have to go another five miles to the next exit to get back on the highway to get back around again to pick her up. And then if I do that, I'm going to have to take her to the gas station, then get back on the highway to go back over five miles back, you know, right? Because I wouldn't just leave her at the gas station. I'd want to make sure I got her all the way around. And I'm arguing with the Lord. I've got limited gas. He's like, who gave you that gas? Oh, I've got just enough time to run that errand. Is that errand more important than she is standing in the rain? And I'm, 
And then I felt that whole Love's gas station drive through and I'm like, I already told you, I will listen to you. So I got off the exit, all the way, and so as I'm driving the speed limit, all the way back the other way, I'm looking because I wasn't really paying attention where I was at or where she was at, so I'm looking, 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 trying to pay attention. I'm like, oh, here it comes. There's her van. There, there's nobody in the van. I'm like, what? Maybe she must have bent down or something, you know. So I got way back around exit and come all the way back up to her. And as I'm slowing down, getting up to the vehicle, I'm like, she's gone. Lord, you asked me to turn around. You knew she was gone. You knew somebody else picked her up, but you still wouldn't stop bugging me to turn around. So then I was mad. I'm driving even faster to Battle Creek, and I thought, I just wasted all that gas. Went all the way around. He said, I'm trying to teach you just to listen. What's more important, learning to listen or running an errand or using up a little bit of your time? So, oh, oh my goodness, all that day I'm like, God, I'm asking you to speak to me, but I'm not listening. And then when I listen, I need to have all, because that's what I started saying right away. Why would you ask me to turn all the way around if you knew she wasn't even going to be there? Why did God ask Abraham to go lay his son on the altar if he knew Abraham wasn't, was going to go through it? If he knew Abraham was going to hold that knife in his hand over his son, why would he ask him to do that? He's teaching him to listen. It's not for God to say, oh, that's good. No, it's for us. But God, whatever you ask, I will do. Whenever you ask, I will do it. I'm not too busy. It doesn't even compare. Whatever I'm doing can never compare to what God is calling me to do. I believe God will ask us to do things without ever knowing the why, just to teach us to listen and follow him. And the more we do these little things, then he can trust us with the bigger things. See, aren't we all really praying for big miracles? We want to see big miracles. We want to see God move. But he said, why would I speak to you any of those things if you won't even listen to me in the little things? So commit everything you do, all of your day, all your ways. And number three, commit yourself to one another. Because isn't that how we do life now? We go from one bubble to the next bubble to the next bubble. We go from our house, we run into our car, make sure we don't make eye contact with the neighbor, run into our car, shut the car door, keep the window rolled up, driving out, and if we see the lady with the get, we just kind of look the other way. If we see the guy with a sign that says, need food, hungry, we'll look the other way, we'll mess with our radio station, whatever it is, don't make eye contact. And we'll go to work, go in our bubble of work, we'll get back in our bubble of the car, and bubble, bubble, bubble. But God's calling us to commit ourselves to one another. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9, says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy 
But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. It's sad to think that most believers can quote John 3.16, but they can't quote 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Over 50 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another or each other is used. We are commanded to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other, sing to each other, submit to each other, and be devoted to each other. Romans 12, 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. So what should we commit ourselves to? Number one, commit to God and his ways, his will. Commit your ways and everything you do to God and commit yourselves to one another. Henry David Thoreau says, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. The price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. You need to examine the things you're currently doing right now, your busy schedule, what you're committed to, in light of the verses we read earlier in Ephesians 5, to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Have you ever just laid down your schedule before him or your phone, if you keep your schedule on your phone, and just say, what is it, Lord? Here it is. Is this what pleases you? Is what I'm doing what you're calling me to do? Am I making the most of every opportunity? Remember verse 17 says, don't act thoughtlessly. Isn't that, don't we get caught in that? When you're on that hamster wheel, you just kind of go through the motions. The next thing you know, oh, it's Sunday again. What'd you do last week? What I always do. Went to work. Came home. Did a thousand things at home. Ate, went to bed, got up, went to work. Don't act thoughtlessly. Don't live thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Think about it this way, and I know they can be controversial. You don't need to commit to getting a bigger paycheck. You don't need to commit to having more family time. You don't need to commit to having a spotless home. 
You don't need to commit to getting that raise at work or that better job. You don't need to commit to whatever it is, fill in the blank. Because even though all these things are good, are they God's priority for your life? You can't sacrifice what God wants you to do for what you want to do. If you do, there's going to be pain and consequences. Usually it comes in the form of stress, pain, pain, and consequences. Remember Luke 9, 25 says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now there's only one good why reason for erasing this excuse of I can't commit to one more thing. I think by now you should know what it is. It's time. When you hear yourself or even think this thought that I can't commit to one more thing, if God's asking you to do this or your brothers and sisters in the Lord are asking you and you know that God wants you to do this thing and you think or even say, I can't, I'm busy. Remember, time is all you have. And you need to redeem it, make every, most of every opportunity now with it. Because you will be held accountable for it. I can assure you, when you stand before God, and he says, what have you done with the 30 plus, the 19 plus, the 40, 70 plus, whatever years he's given you, what have you got? What have you given in exchange for that? time I gave you. You're not going to stand before him and say, we had family game night every Saturday night. Isn't that great? Or I had, I had the best job at such and such factory. Or I was the best baker in Marshall. It's time that you're exchanging, that you're going to be accountable for. Time is the why reason for when. You are exchanging this or that for something you can never get back. So, like I said, it's a little controversial. I'm not saying that family time is bad. I'm not saying that working hard at your job is bad. But when you commit your ways and everything you do to God, you view it in light of what's the priority. So it's not the, um, I'm going to work and I'm going to be a good worker, but I'm going to be the best Christian worker at work. I'm going to be the best Christian father during game night so that while we're playing a stupid game of Monopoly, I can take that time, redeem it with my children, with my wife, and speak words to them that will make a difference in light of eternity. So I'm not wasting it. And I... 
I say it lightly because spending time with your family or being a hard worker is not wasting. It's the obligation, and you need to do that. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying redeeming that time that you have doing this or doing that so that you're asking God while I'm here, while I'm at work. I have to punch in 8 to 5, but while I'm here, God, I commit everything I do to you. Speak to me so that I can redeem the time I'm here for your glory. So every day, every waking minute, because time keeps moving. You can't stop it, you, but you will be accountable for it. What are you exchanging your time for? Today, uh, on the first Sunday of every month, we take up communion. Um, I think it's an appropriate time today that we're having communion because the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves during the communion time before we take communion. Um, as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. And is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? No, it's time to examine your motives, test your heart, and come and take this communion time with a holy awe. So, uh, Fred, if you can come up and serve us these little symbols, these little elements, and we're just going to hold them in our hand for a minute. And I want us to use this time to just refocus our commitment. Let me ask you. We read the scripture, Romans 12, 1, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. When you came to church this morning, before you even came to church this morning, were you enthusiastically anticipating church? When you're doing what God's called you to do, whatever ministry you're doing or whatever it is, do you get all excited to do it? Is it enthusiastic, or are you think in an hour and a half I'm going to be out of here, and then we can enjoy the day? Do you get excited to come to church to be a part of this or that ministry? If not, it's time to reprioritize. 1 John 5.21 says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. We are encouraged in the Bible to examine ourselves, so that's what we want to do right now. As we're thinking about our excuse of why we can't commit any, to anything more because we're so busy, let's just ask God right now to just help us to examine our lives. And let's just ask God for forgiveness, Lord, that we have been sucked into this busyness, this busy schedule, this busy life. And let's just refocus our attention back on God during this time of communion. Father, I just want to take this time as we all are right now. Just ask you, God, to just squeeze our heart. Squeeze out anything that's taking our desire away from you. Squeeze out anything that's trying to crowd you out of our heart and our life. God, we want to refocus our commitment on you.
You are our priority. You are our reason for the very breath we have. You created a purpose and a plan for us even before we were born. And God, we just ask that you forgive us for being selfish and just running through our life like little hamsters on wheels and not even paying attention to what you created us to be. Forgive us, God. And during this time of communion, a time to remember Jesus and the sacrifice that you made for us, just ask that we just recommit ourselves to you. Be that broken bread, poured out wine through our lives. Help us serve and be committed to one another, to commit our ways and everything we do to you and commit our very life, our very soul to you and your will, God. Have your way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read the message version. Paul's saying here, let me go over this with you again. As he talks about the Lord's Supper. Let me go over this with you again, exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. He said, I received my instructions from the master himself, and now I'm passing them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took this bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and then he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. So let's do that. Father, we do. We remember the sacrifice that you gave of your son, and we remember, Jesus, that you laid down your rights as king and, and anointed savior, that you laid down all your rights to heaven and submitted yourself to the cross for us, your broken body, for our healing, for our forgiveness. And God, we ask right now during this time of just remembering you, that you teach us how to be broken for others broken for others, that your compassion for others would be in our heart and in our life, broken with others, that we can weep and mourn with them, pray for them, love them, and exhort them above us. God, that we would be committed to them, that we would lay down our lives for others like you laid down your life for us. We remember you today. Let's take this together. Paul goes on to say that after supper, he did the same thing with this cup. And he said, this cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. And each time you drink this cup, remember me. Jesus, we remember you. We remember that you spilt your blood for us. We remember that it's by your blood that we have been made just and right, just as if we have never sinned. And we ask that you just apply this 
blood to our lives in a way, Lord, that we not only can receive your forgiveness, but we extend your forgiveness to others. We are poured out for others. Teach us how to be that poured out drink for others. Have your way, Lord. We honor you. We remember you. Jesus, thank you. Let's take it together. Kevin, if you'd just come up and just play something for us. I don't want us to get up and walk away too soon. I want us to just continue to just meditate on what we heard today. I want us to spend time practically, and if you need to do it right where you're at with your piece of paper and your pen, do it there. If you want to come up to the altar, do it up here. But I want you to ask God, show me what your plan for my life is. And what it is today might not be what it's going to be tomorrow. Or maybe you'll see tomorrow's plan and you're asked, then you need to ask God, what do you want me to do then today to reach that plan for tomorrow? Spend some time. Ask God, show me what your plan is for my life. And then ask God how you need to rearrange your schedule to focus your priorities on his calling. Not on what you need to do or you have to do, but on his calling. And if you need to open up your phone or pull out your little pocket calendar and lay it there in your lap or on the altar as just like a symbol to God that here it is, have your way. Believe God is big enough to speak little things to you. Like don't go through the drive-thru, go inside. Because he wants you to make the most of every opportunity. He wants you to redeem the time. Because why? Why? Because there's lives waiting, hanging in the balance for us to complete his will, his purpose. Eternity. Eternity should be on our mind. And lay in our calendar before God and just say, rearrange it have your way how is it i need to say no to some distracting things to be able to open it up to say yes to the things that are important to you god so let's spend some time and then i'll come back up and i'll close in prayer
maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're thinking, I just feel so far away. I don't know how it happened, but I just feel so far away from you, God. The Bible says that He is ever-present. And all we have to do is call out to Him. So I don't know if you need to reestablish your relationship with God again, or maybe you need to begin one today. All you have to do is call out to Him. Father, I'm here. Have your way. Be the Lord, be the Savior, be the King of my life today. I commit to following you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength as the leader and Lord of my life. Teach me, speak to me, direct me, and guide me into all your ways and into your full will for my life and that that you created me to be. I thank you, Jesus. For surrendering your life to a cross that I can reestablish my relationship to God, to have an eternal place in heaven with God. God, I also ask that those of us that are sitting here today and seems like we constantly keep getting sucked into this hamster wheel of life, that you just stir our hearts to shake away that, those things that continue to just busy us. And help us to redeem all our time. To make the most of every opportunity. That you will be glorified in everything we do. Have your way and speak to us. We commit to you, God, to your will, your ways for our lives. Help us, Lord, to reprioritize our schedules to make you our priority. Teach us as we go today, Lord, to consistently, constantly be listening for you speaking to us, directing us. Keep our ears open to you. God, we don't want to just do church. We want to be the church. Wherever we are, let people sense your kingdom upon us. Not that we are anything but just your broken bread and poured out wine for others. Let them sense and feel your love through us. Let them be drawn to you. Not drawn to us, but drawn to you. In just everything we do, God, we give you glory.
and give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.